Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. So glad that you could join me today. In just a minute, I'm going to be joined by my guest, Derek Brown of Fade the Noise. He is one of my favorite guys to talk to. Such a warm, friendly, charismatic dude and whip smart when it comes to fantasy. But first, a quick announcement. Uh, I first started writing about fantasy football way back in the 1990s when I was at Pro Football Weekly. That was my home as a fantasy contributor until PFW went out of business in 2013. Then I partnered up with Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com, and that has been the main home of my rankings and articles ever since, though I've done some freelance stuff over the years for SI.com. 4for4.com, CBS Sportsline. Uh, but now I've joined another pack. I have joined the staff at footballguys.com, and I'm pretty excited about it. First of all, I've been a longtime subscriber to Football Guys. Uh, it's a terrific, exhaustive, wall-to-wall fantasy football service um, and has been for a very long time, which is why I was willing to spend my own money to get football guys content. And uh, second, I've gotten to know a lot of the guys over there through the years. Sigmund Bloom, Cecil Lammy, Jason Wood, Gene Brammel, Matt Waldman, Jeff Hazley, and others. Uh, all really cool first-class people. And lately, I've had the chance to get to know Joe Bryant, one of the founding fathers at Football Guys, which has really been a pleasure. Um, Joe is just one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And when Joe asked me to join the FBG staff, wow, I was really honored. And the idea of running with a pack, being a cog in a, a well-oiled, highly functioning machine, that really appealed to me. And I was incredibly flattered by it. So I accepted Joe's invitation. So that's my news. I'm now a Football Guys staff member, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to footballguys.com. I think you'll find it worthwhile. I should note, however, that this does not mean I'm parting ways with thefootballgirl.com. Uh, au contraire, I will continue to work with my friend Melissa Jacobs, and you'll still be able to find my fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com uh, throughout the season, uh, in the months leading up to the season. Right now, as a matter of fact, redraft and dynasty rankings are still there right now. So just to be clear on that, uh, okay, I have a lot to talk about with my guy, Derek Brown. So let's get to it. And joining me now is my buddy, Derek Brown. He is a senior analyst at Fade the Noise, host of the Chalk Fade podcast, and quite possibly the nicest guy in the fantasy football media. 
Find him on Twitter at Debro underscore FFB. Debro, welcome back, amigo. <laughs> it's been a minute, Pat. I mean, this is awesome. Thank you for having me again. I mean, last time we chopped it up, we talked baking, we talked prospects, we talked all <laughs> kinds of stuff, man. So thank you for having me back. You know I'm a massive, massive supporter of this show since you started it. You're one of the best hosts in the industry. I will not back off of that. I'm not blowing smoke. I am so, so happy to be here. Oh, you are too kind, my man. Uh, And, you know, just to make this the Mutual Admiration Society, I have been bowled over by all of the great work that you uh, and really the whole whole team at Fade the Noise have been pumping out. Just such an all-star roster over there. And... Fade the Noise has really made a big splash in the fantasy media and also the gambling media in a very short period of time. Big fan of yours, D-Bro. And, uh, you know, my respect for you, for Brad Evans, for Elliot Chris, Jeff Radcliffe, uh, everyone else at Fade the Noise is just immense. So great to have you back, my man. Um, all right, buddy. As soon as, as soon as you agreed to come on, I knew where I had to start with you. Um, there were a lot of people singing the praises of Cam Akers heading into his rookie season, but yours was the loudest voice in the choir. Uh, slow start for him last year. Sean McVay was kind of slow to take the training wheels off. Then he had a splashy highlight reel 61-yard run against the 49ers in Week 12 and also punched in a short touchdown the next week, Week 13, started the fantasy playoffs. Uh, 72 rushing yards and a touchdown against the Cardinals, along with a 22-yard reception. Then in week 14, he absolutely tramples the Patriots for 171 rushing yards. That was the Thursday night game, so everyone was watching it, and Akers mania was pretty much upon us at that point. But then he sprains his ankle against the Jets in week 15, misses week 16, and has sort of an unproductive rushing day against the Cardinals in the season finale although he did have a season high of four catches for 52 yards. Debro, help sell me on Cam Akers. I mean, I think most people are sold already. I guess I'm not quite there yet. Uh, You know, I know he had the ankle injury just as he seemed to be building momentum. I just wish we'd seen maybe a little more from him aside from that three-game stretch, which granted was a key stretch that helped a lot of fantasy managers in a big way. Uh, but he wasn't super efficient overall. And until that last game, he had been kind of a zero in the passing game. Um, you know, even though there was some pretty good tape on him making plays as a, a receiver at Florida State. Did you see enough last year that you're completely sold? I'm, I'm all in on Cam Akers. And this is not just me having take lock or, or, or a, a player that I've been very, very much on since he was drafted. I mean, there's video clips of like, the pants are off. I'm freaking out. It's draft night. And this is not me staying, like, cemented into that. I love the talent. And the other thing about it is you've got to love his usage. And all of it's been discussed as far as, like, with the volume and, and how much he did down the stretch. But the one thing that, like, we're talking about the pass game role, Pat, and just the, the overall makeup of this offense, I think, does need to be discussed as well. Because walking into the season, everybody was like, okay, well, if you're not if it's not just fade acres, it's fade the offensive line. And I, and I heard so much about all this PFF grades and how they're terrible and the offensive line is not going to be good. And, and then they come out and they, they play extremely well. They were seventh in adjusted line yards, 17th in second level and 15th in open field yards. And this is also with having Andrew Whitworth out for a portion of the season. So 
if they go into this next season and they address the offensive line in the draft, or heck, even if they get middle-of-the-road production, I think it's wheels up for Cam Akers. And a lot of this, you have to look at the context of the offense, and people are like, okay, was he really going to get the offensive volume again now with Matthew Stafford and are they going to pass more and stuff if you look back to Los Angeles's heyday like when Jared Goff was I mean when he had the bounce back and this was an overall like high flying pass first offense they ran the ball 41% in neutral scripts when Todd Gurley was just ripping apart the league you look at 2019 it was the exact same number, Pat. 41% neutral script rushing rate. So I don't think the rushing is going to go away. Yes, will they pass the ball? Of course. But I think that looking at this offense, the Rams were also quietly, quietly, second in the NFL in red zone rushing rate behind only the New England Patriots. And you can talk about Cam Newton also skewed that. So maybe they would have been first if they didn't have Cam Newton in New England. And Akers, the thing about it is everybody wants to talk about, well, you didn't get a ton of targets. I understand that, but some of that's quarterback tendencies, offensive design, play design, and some of how they want to attack another opposing uh, defense. And when I look at Akers, the thing about it is I care more about not only just targets, but are you running routes? Because that's the thing. you got to be running the routes to get the targets. If you're running the routes, you're not just going to keep doing, unless your name is Demarcus Robinson, just running sprints, wind sprints up and down the field. He's going to get targets. And considering what we've seen previously in iterations of this offense, the running back should be involved and has been involved in that. And and what we saw under the surface for Akers was fantastic, Pat. Weeks 13 through 17, Akers ran a route on 53% of Jared Goff's dropbacks. When it counted the most in the playoffs, he was running routes on 83% of Jared Goff's dropbacks. That means that, look, if the volume stays the same, if he's going to get 20 touches or 15 touches on the ground weekly, if the targets go up, it is wheels up, red zone rushing roll, pass game roll, increased touchdown equity, and a better offense with Matthew Stafford. Yes, I'm immensely buying into Akers. Nice, man. And uh, the really good point about the, the offensive line, whereas maybe that would be, I don't know, people were worried about how it was going to be, especially after uh, Whitworth went down and it, it overperformed last year. So maybe that's, you know, not a strike against it at all. Is is Akers still your, well, I don't know if he always was, I guess, is he your, your favorite second year running back or is there anyone else you like more from last year's rookie class, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, anyone else? The only player that I'm going to take above him as far as the second-year guys, and I, and I love them all. I'm not going to say that I'm not throwing any shade at any of these guys because they all have immense ceilings. But Swift, do we have offensive concerns about what Detroit's going to be able to do and how many touchdowns they score? Yes, I think that that's part of this. Antonio Gibson, do we see him get that pass game usage? I think it's coming, but... There also is a world that we could live in, and he doesn't. And he still reprises the early down role, and J.D. McKissick is still a thorn in the side. The guy that I, I will say that I have above Cam Akers, I'm going to be very, very bullish that I think that he's worth being drafted inside the top six picks of redraft for next season, and that's Jonathan Taylor. I'm all in on him. I think that he is fantastic. It, we saw him used as a true three-down workhorse. Naheem Hines kind of slowly faded away. You saw Taylor run more routes. His pass game usage was up. 
the offense, if it's better, even with Carson Wentz, and I do think that that is a thing, I think that they can rehab Wentz. I don't think that he's firmly broken. I'm all in on Jonathan Taylor. Like, I will be very, very bullish. I have always, you know this, Pat, I'm on team, get your guys. I will be aggressively drafting my players, and Jonathan Taylor is one of those for this coming season. Yeah, he uh, just like the, the body work he put together in the second half of the season, albeit against a pretty weak slate of run defenses, although, you know, he still made his bones with a couple of touchdowns against the Steelers in that game late. Um, in, in best ball drafts right now, Debro, Cam Akers, uh, and I'm using fanball data here, by the way. Uh, Akers ADP is currently running back nine, and he's going 13.3 overall. So are, are you okay with that price? If, if you're sitting on the turn in a best ball and Akers is available, is he just a snap call for you with either the 12th or 13th pick? Oh, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. I actually did uh, a mock draft the other night. And I wanted the turn because I wanted to take Akers and I wanted to be able to get either a wide receiver that fell to me in that second round or even a running back because at this point, I'm fine paying that price because I think that Akers, there's still, and people could could say that I'm I'm being a little bit hot takey here, but the, and with Akers, in the upside with the volume and the touchdowns and everything, there's still a little bit of equity to be had. Like, he's coming off the board at RB9. The thirst for RBs is real in that first round. I still think that he has top five upside in this coming season. And that that might sound like crazy sauce to some, but if all of it coalesces and we see everything come to a head for Cam Akers, he's going to be a top five guy. So I'm fine taking him as a top ten back. Yeah. um, And by the way, when when I was uh, just prepping for this show, looking at some of the game logs. Like, it seemed like Cam Akers ran against a pretty good, uh, pretty tough run game schedule last year. Like, even some of the softer teams that the Rams played were, like, the the Giants and Jets and uh, Washington football team, who actually all had pretty respectable run defenses uh, last year. So, you know, yeah, there's there's some upside here for sure this year. And, and you're well, he, he destroyed the Seahawks and the Packers. I mean, he played extremely well, and and I know you you know better than most. I mean, the Packers' run defense was not the Packers' run defense of old last year. Like, Seattle, both of these teams were top eight in second-level yards allowed. So what he did in the playoffs needs some context as well. That all came against really good run yeah, defenses. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's like I kind of arbitrarily – cut him off at the end of the regular season because that's what we're concerned about with fantasy. But like you said, uh, over 200 yards combined in those two playoff games, a touchdown in each of those games. Uh, and the Packers run defense had gotten pretty airtight towards the end of the season. It wasn't the the sieve that it had been in the first few weeks of 2020. So um, yeah, good point on that. And uh, you are getting me more enthusiastic, D-Bro. You uh, successfully, <laughs> you know, you had your feet to the fire there and you are talking me into Cam. Uh, let's get into the rookies. Tis the season after all. I have seen you profess admiration for Javante Williams. Um, I had Thor Nystrom on the show last week and I know you just Thor about oh. Rashad Bateman <laughs> on your podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thor just breathes fire, man. That's his default mode. Um, Thor is Javante Williams as his RB1 in this class. Is Javante your running back one also? So uh, Thor and I briefly discussed this before we d- recorded all the wide receiver episodes over at Fade the Chalk, and we, 
he he tipped the cap that he was gonna possibly have Javante as his RB one, and I was like, look, I love it. I I, I don't shy away from that. And for me, I, I feel like we're splitting hairs um, with the RB one designation. At least for me, it is. I look at Javante Williams and Najee Harris as RB one A and one B. They are in a tier to themselves for me. So I will not fight anybody for having Javante Williams RB1. I will not fight anybody or, or, or put up my hands against anybody that has Najee Harris RB1. I think those two guys are in a tier by themselves. And depending on the day when I wake up and how I'm feeling, could be either one of them. But not ETN. He's not in that, uh, not on the same tier. Nope. And we're going to talk about it later in the show, some guys I'm a little bit lower I, I look. It's not that I hate Etn. I just think that there are some more concerns. Like I've discussed Travis Etn, and my comp for him was a shinier version of Tevin Coleman. I have more concerns about him. Does he have these electric qualities to his game? Absolutely. But I have more concerns about him transferring to the NFL in the sense that, like, when you look at even the pass catching acumen, like he was a guy that entered this last collegiate season. And he was worried about catching passes. Like, this wasn't, like, just a feather in the cap walking into that season. Did he improve? Yes. Did they use him a lot in the passing game? Yes, again. But just because he garnered a ton of volume, and yes, he was better with his routes. Yes, his hands were good. This still was not a guy that didn't run, a, like, catch a ton of dump-offs. And we also have to give context with the Clemson offense. Would he have garnered the same type of target share if we had a healthy Justin Ross there? Like they, I mean, literally this, this offense was ETN and it was Amari Rogers and then a, what, a Cornell Powell? Come on. So could some of that also helped bump up ETN's target share? And they're like, look, we don't have a lot of receiving weapons outside of Amari Rogers. He's a slot guy. Who else do we need to be targets to and design this offense around? So it's not that I'm fading ETN, but I think that there were holes in his game. Like his lateral agility is a little bit lacking to me. His ability to create outside of you giving him a runway and he just busts through the hole and the speed is real. I think there, I, I don't understand the Alvin Kamara comps outside of saying, okay, he catches passes. Those don't make any freaking sense to me. Tevin Coleman, the high end, if you want to talk about Chris Johnson, those make a lot of sense to me. But as far as like discussing him in, in the same breath as Alvin Kamara, I'm, I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, Thor had brought up the the runway thing too that he kind of needs one to get going, and if he doesn't get it, like in you know his two games against Ohio State the last couple of years where it's a, a top flight defense, and he doesn't get that runway, uh, the results are are sort of less than exhilarating. Um, there, there's another guy I've been eager to ask you about because you said uh, on Twitter in. in previewing a, a profile you had done that you weren't especially high on Terrace Marshall until you dug in on him for a fade the noise profile. Uh, what did you discover that now has you excited about him? So I think, and, and I kind of fell victim to this. I, I don't watch a ton of college during the season. I mean, I'm so knee deep in the NFL and DFS content and stuff like that. I just don't have the bandwidth. So catching up after the season and diving into these and preparing for the NFL draft, looking at some of the the on paper and, and the high level numbers for Terrace Marshall in this LSU offense last season, if you're just staring at the box scores and the stat sheets for the end of the season, you'd be like, okay, well, Terrace Marshall and Keisha Mbate, like, 
they were pretty similar. Like, I mean, they pretty, they, they ended with very, very similar stat lines. Like, okay, well, is this a guy like, I get it. He's a five-star prospect. And, and, oh my gosh, he was stuck behind Jamar Chase, who was going to be a top five to 10 pick in this NFL draft. And he was stuck behind Justin Jefferson, who just balled out and had arguably the greatest NFL rookie season in the history of the NFL as a wide receiver. And is Terrace Marshall really that good? Or was he just a guy that couldn't even ascend over a freshman? And diving into the per games and seeing that Marshall opted out after seven games and what he did in the first seven games of LSU season made me a firm believer. I mean, Pat, like, in that first seven games, the guy garnered a 25% target share, and Butte was way behind him at 12%. Butte only had 209 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown in that stretch with Marshall on the field. Marshall, and I'm not going to knock the guy for not producing or being the third option in our offense that with the guys that he was positioned around. I'm not knocking him for that because he still broke out. He had a 19 breakout age. And if you're looking at 2020, when he had the offense to himself, and it was just basically him catching passes from three different quarterbacks, the guy had the targets, and he was 21st at yards per route run amongst 145 wide receivers with 50 or more targets last season. I'm in on Terrace Marshall. Like I want him to get second-round draft capital. I love his ability to play both outside and inside. There were some issues as far as with catching the ball and drops, but I look at that as more concentration issues or wanting to do too much after the play. I'm in on Terrace Marshall. Like My comp for him was, depending on his role at the next level, I could see Devontae Parker or Tyler Boyd in his range of outcomes, and that's a low-end one or a high-end two considering I, I really like him. Like, I want all the second-round picks I can get in Dynasty and try to get as much Terrace Marshall as possible. Yeah, it's interesting there, uh, you know, these guys where you really have to sort of parse the college production and uh, the circumstances they were in. And, like, Amari Rogers strikes me as another one of these guys who where they just did not have really an opening in 2019 because of all the talent around them. And then 2020, they kind of blow it up in – different circumstances and and my god certainly marshall really had the chips stacked against him with the way the offense fell off in in baton rouge so um yeah man uh you also did a profile on devonta smith what was your your takeaway on him i think he's deserving of the hype um i now in saying all of that i understand that as soon as he hits an nfl field and when or if regardless of how you view him, he produces. Is he going to be an outlier considering his build and his stature and all those different things? Yes. Am I more willing to lean into the outlier? Yes, again. And the thing about Devontae Smith that I don't think gets enough uh, light shine upon it is that when 2019, people talk about, okay, well, he was the only guy for Alabama last season. And he put up all these video game numbers without Jalen Waddle. Like the guy was averaging... 162 receiving yards and two over two touchdowns per game after Waddle went out. That's all great, and people want to knock him for that. Would he have won the Heisman with Waddle there? No. But he was the only thing in the passing offense for Alabama. Like, it was a heavy dose of him and Najee Harris weekly. Teams knew that was coming. Teams knew that this is the medicine you're going to be dealt. So, And all they did was just lay down and take it. They couldn't do anything to stop Devontae Smith. And even, like I was talking about, the light being shown upon it. 
Not enough is discussed, Pat, about like in 2019 when Ruggs and Waddle and Judy were all there. Devontae Smith was on a schmo. He still led the team in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. So it's a guy that produced in a crowded room. He produced when there was nobody left around him and he was standing there left holding all the bags. So is he going to be an outlier? Yes, I, I, I absolutely understand that. Considering the talent profile and the way he wins and everything that he put up on film and metric-wise, I'm, I'm more in on Devontae Smith. He's, he's in my inside my top three wide receivers uh, right now for rookie rankings and dynasty in this class. Um, I, I, do you have more concerns than I do for Devontae Smith, or, or am I, are you in on the love letter that I'm spitting here? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't want to be a slave to uh, – dimensions and 40 time and all that. Like I, I, you know, don't want to shut out the possibility, especially since I'm a high on Rondale Moore too. I mean, he definitely a different body type for sure than Devonta Smith. I mean, he's, you know, more of a fire plug and, you know, Devonta Smith is, uh, you know, well, the Slim Reaper, I think, is his nickname down in. Yes. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Ray G. Shout out to Ray G. That's yeah, a great one. So, um, Anyway, like I'm, I have got him, I think third right now behind, you know, Chase is pretty clearly the number one, uh, at least in my opinion, maybe some people, I I know there are some people who have Smith number one, I've got Bateman number two, and then I've kind of gone back and forth between Moore and Devonta Smith three, four, but like, to me, that's kind of, and and then Waddle five, I guess. So that's, I don't know, that's sort of a, a fairly excellent top shelf and I think all those guys belong there yeah I'm 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 with that Pat like I look at it more as in tears so like everybody talks about well I mean you got this guy wide receiver three like how could you have him not at two and I'm like oh my gosh we're we're all splitting hairs here man like for me Jamar Chase is that dude like he's in a tier by himself at wide receiver one and then I've got currently right now and I'm still kind of parsing through this class um Right now, I've got DeMonta Smith and Rashad Bateman in that second tier. So I, I am firmly in on both of them, love both of them, and I love the fact that we're, we're kind of getting some small inklings of Rashad Bateman's name in this episode as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, like, you know, in that group just behind the Rondale Moore, uh, Waddle, Marshall, like, you know, it's, it's a good group, and, I mean, man – I love that there's so much debate with this class and like, you know, all sorts of people caping up for different guys from that, like tier, the further tiers, the, you know, Tylen Wallace's, the Amari Rogers, the, uh, yeah. So like Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone's got their favorites. So, um, and and we'll get into that in a second. There's one more guy I have to ask you about first, specifically a running back, uh, Kenny Gainwell. I saw your Kevin Falk comp on Twitter. Um, so does that mean that you think Gainwell is strictly going to be a third down back whose value is probably going to be limited to just full point PPR leagues? Or can he do enough on the ground that he might be someone you'd be potentially in the future enthusiastic to start in fantasy every week? So uh, the way I look at Kenny Gainwell is is we, we, we look at the his stat line that he put up in 2019 and he was great, but I think that some of that stat line needs context. And the I, well, I guess his player makeup for me needs more context because 
if we look at the stat line, people are like, I, I would be over the moon for him. And I'm not going to tell people not to be, but if you turn on the film and you look at his background and you look how he was used in Memphis, I do think that there is a another level to context and what the way that I see him transitioning to the NFL it might not be shake up with consensus, and that's fine. But if you look at Gamewell, he's a guy that played quarterback in high school for all three seasons. He was recruited to Memphis as a wide receiver. He switched to running back and got one year to play. And now we're we're, we're expecting him to make this easy transition or, or transition considering the, the eye-popping stat line that he put up at Memphis – I, I think that his transition to the NFL, I think that he's going to be used more as a chess piece, Pat. Like, in 2019, he got 25 quarterback snaps, and he lined up outside or in the slot on 15% of his snaps. And as a runner, it wasn't like he was blowing the top off. I know that the stats tell us all that. But if you look at it, like, how, how elusive is he? How much does this transfer? And we're looking at level of competition and and I think he's going to be a guy that's more predicated on his offensive line than some of the guys that can create a little bit more. Because in 2019, you had 200 running backs with 75 or more rushing attempts. He was 78th in yards after contact per attempt. That's not fantastic. I love Gainwell for what he could bring to a smart offensive coordinator and the way that they could utilize him. I, I, I And I talked about this on our podcast. I won't be surprised if Kenny Gainwell won falls in the NFL draft and goes like say in the fourth, maybe fifth round. Like I know that it sounds crazy to people that love Kenny Gainwell. It's not that I don't like Kenny Gainwell. I think that fantasy Twitter could like Kenny Gainwell a little bit more than the NFL possibly does. And I think that he, I won't be surprised if he's a guy that actually makes a transition to wide receiver or a team looks at him like that. And that could sound insane to somebody like, okay, well do you see all the rushing yards he put up? I mean, there's no way that somebody's going to make him into a wide receiver. And I'm like, did you also see what he did as an outside wide receiver in that offense? The guy was running crisp routes. He showed the ability to adjust to the ball, body control in the air, to back shoulder throws and stuff. I just look at Gainwell in a different light than some other people might look at him considering the stat lines. I think he's going to be a better chess piece than necessarily a tried and true running back in the NFL. And I don't know if he's going to test extremely well. Like watching him on film... I won't be surprised if he's one, he's an undersized guy, but I won't be surprised if he's an undersized guy that comes in and, and we're like, we've talked about Theo Riddick, or at least I've heard his name discussed in the same breath as Gainwell. I won't be surprised if he runs a four, six. Ooh. Yeah. And you know, at his size, that would definitely maybe cool some of the embers uh, of enthusiasm that people have for him. But it is fair, I think, to question whether he is going to be ready to, um, you know, as, assume a big role in a running game right away, given his sort of limited background, I guess, uh, you know, as you pointed out, are there any other guys in this class uh, who you're maybe a little higher on than other people? Uh, so we've discussed Harris Marshall. My love is extremely strong. Another guy that I, the fever dream that I have for him is that he goes in the third round, and he goes to say the Arizona Cardinals or some other place where he can be that 12 to 15 touch, one, a complimentary 1A back. And that's Michael Carter. I And I know maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on all of these North Carolina backs. I just, I love Michael Carter's film. I love what he was able to do at his time in North Carolina. 
I understand the size concerns, but I think he's big enough. And I think he's big enough for the role that I want him in in the NFL. Like, I think that he could be an immensely efficient runner at the NFL level and give me 12 to 15 touches of Michael Carter. And whew, he, he, he has the ability, the skills to be a top 24 running back. Yeah, I am with you on him, man. Uh, two really exciting running back prospects from North Carolina in this class. Uh, amazing how, like, you know, that that region with Memphis turning into a running back factory, now North Carolina producing these great backs. Uh, that is fertile running back country these days. What about guys you're not quite as high on in this class as other people? Well, I discussed my shade for Travis Etienne, or at least people kind of believe that. I mean, I don't, I don't hate Etienne. I'm just lower on him and than a lot of other people. Like, he, there's no way possibly um, that he could be my RB one in this class. Uh, the same with Kenny Gainwell. Like, I've seen people out there ranking him above Michael Carter. I can't do that. Michael Carter is a tried and true better running back than Kenny Gainwell. Uh, we just his name got brought up earlier. I'm lower on Tylen Wallace than many other people, and. He's a really interesting case study for me. If you look at Tylen Wallace, like all the numbers, early production, uh, good yards per route run, all of that screams that I should be a lot higher on him than I possibly am. And I'm not saying that I dislike him, but considering what he was doing at Oklahoma State, I, as a guy who played all outside, he played on one side of the formation, and those are not the knocks I have on him, but... For all of the love for Tylen Wallace, I saw more concerns on film for him whenever he went against corners that could get physical, that could uh, body him up at the line. He had issues, and the way he tried to compensate for that was to his catch radius, his ability to jump, and, and his ball control, especially in the air, and, and leaping over guys. He's not a tall guy. He's six foot, and... I worry about his transition to the NFL if a team views him as mainly an outside wide receiver and asks him to consistently win versus physical corners, especially as an outside wide receiver. I've got more concerns about Tylen Wallace, despite all of the the fantastic things that he's put up on paper. Yeah, you mentioned that, I think, on Twitter, that uh, press coverage might be a concern for him. And he is lighter than 200 pounds, I think 193 um, yeah, so, but people are going to fall in love with that early breakout age, the 1400 yard season as a sophomore, understandable, but, um, you know, the press coverage thing is a very realistic concern, uh, you know, heading into the NFL when you've got so many cornerbacks who are good at jamming, uh, receivers at the line. Debro, you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Fort Worth. So how did you and your family make out during the winter storm last month? Did you guys lose power? Uh, so we actually um, had a very, very different set of circumstances than a lot of other people. Um, we did not have it as hard as everybody else. And I know a lot of people that were really, really struggling, both with power outages, just to have the ability to have heat in their homes. Um, uh, most of the area was under boil warnings. Because um, some earlier circumstances in the year, we actually had our house flood, um, had sewage water in our house, um, and we we were getting our house, uh, our floors got torn apart. We were actually living out of a hotel for about three or four weeks up until this last week. So when the freeze hit, we were actually up in a hotel. We didn't lose power. 
we didn't have any of the boil warnings and stuff like that. We had like, obviously like, because you're in that surroundings, um, and the inability to cook and stuff of that nature, we had food concerns and we were trying to figure out what are we going to do on a daily basis and places were, um, either having power outages and, and they didn't have food and, and what were we going to do and, and trying to basically do the best we could living off of sandwiches and, and ramen noodles. Like, but did we have it as hard as a lot of other people? Because there were a lot of people that were struggling and, and I get like different parts of the country are like, okay, well, haha, like, you know, we, we deal with freezing temperatures all the time. It's like, well, the, the houses down here are not built for that. And I mean, it was still really rough for a lot of people, but we didn't have those same types of hardships. But I, I know a lot of people that had their pipes burst that even living in apartments, they had their, their roofs collapsed because of pipes bursting above them. Oh man. Yeah. I, well, I suppose if there was any time for you to have your own housing catastrophe, best to have it before another potential weather calamity. So, uh, yeah, man, good timing there. Uh, dude. And then I saw that you were on the road and what, you got a flat tire and your jack broke. <laughs> yeah. Life, life, um, gives you things in multiples. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, with all of the freeze stuff, then it thaws out. Um, and I, it, the freeze stuff was was uh, was interesting. Like in the sense, of, like I'm I'm originally from Louisiana, so I'm used to living in crazy times, living through hurricanes. So that wasn't as unsettling. Like we, yes, we were traveling uh, this past weekend um, for my daughter's birthday and, and to visit some family and, and be smart about it in a very small setting. And we were we were traveling and. <laughs> They got for the Texas State Highway Patrol. Uh, they were fantastic. We happened to, we were barreling down the highway 75, 80 miles an hour. And I get somebody that drives up next to me and they rolled on the window. And I was like, well, I, I haven't flipped the bird at anybody in the last five minutes. So uh, apparently, uh, you know, that's not a road rage incident. Um, so we're okay in that aspect. Uh, but they, they put the window down and they're like, hey, hey, you're flat, you got a flat tire. And I was like, what? I was like, we're, we're fine. Like the car's running fine. And then Two seconds later, literally, I'm like, oh, what just happened? And so I pull over, tire, I get out, I look at it, and I see from the sidewall of it, air just going, beep, like something out of like Big Hero 6, the air is shooting out the side of it. And I'm like, all of a sudden, within like five seconds, the tire's totally flat. I go to put it up on a jack, and how we were positioned on the side of the road with a totally flat tire, the jack breaks. Uh, well, first of all, the jack, I got it up, it fell. And then the jack breaks after subsequently. Uh, thank God uh, there was uh, at least, a, I think it was a congestion on the highway. There was a Texas State Patrol guy ahead of us on the shoulder just monitoring the situation. My wife runs up to him, uh, knocks on the window. He comes over there with a the jack, saves the day. We, we were able to get the spare on. Um, and we had to actually go to another tire shop because the spare hasn't seen the light of day in probably four years, five years. And it's totally dry rotted. We made it there safe, but yeah, it's every day's a new adventure, Pat. It's a, you never can't tell, buddy. We got to get you and the family up here to the Midwest where the living's easy, you know. Well, <laughs> except for the fact that we get the snow and ice for three months, but uh, hey, I, I'm fine with <laughs> snow and ice. We were we were playing in the snow. I am totally fine with the cold temperatures. Uh, give me the snowboarding and, and and all of these things. So the snow, I'm fine with. I love it. Yeah, man. Uh, on a different topic, I know you're a big music guy. Where where do your tastes generally run? 
Oh, it's all metal all the time. Um, and, and what various different shade of rock and roll that I'm feeling that day. I mean, I could wake up and it could be, okay, today, you know, we're going to rock some ACDC. Uh, I, I've had that, their new album uh, in the turnstile and, and playing that. Um, and some days, I mean, really, it's all things rock, whether it's metal, whether it's classic, whether it's punk and stuff of that nature. Um, one of the feel-good albums that kind of got me through this entire pandemic, and I'll still turn on when it's just one of those days where you wake up and you're like, you know what, like, I'm just not feeling today, and I'm just not feeling it. Um, one of the, the just, it's, it's overall fun, audio fun, is a, a band called Punk Rock Factory, um, I forget if they're they're out of Great Britain or um, where exactly they're from, but it, it's literally a a album of Disney covers just redone with punk music and guests and all this kind of stuff. So I'm sitting here screaming to the top of my lungs um, while I'm watching film, Let It Go, and my kids run in and they're like, oh my God, what's going on here? And then of course, then they sit here and see what I'm listening to and they join in the hilarity. So it's just one of those albums that I've been able to turn on and really just kind of get through some of these times. And it's been a family thing. Like they obviously know all the songs, but we're all blaring them just riding down the road on a daily basis. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. It's interesting to hear what people have turned to as their musical comfort food, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, certain albums that people keep going back to, uh, you know, when, when things have been a little bleak, you know, some people, uh, you know, like the stuff that reflects the mood, the darker stuff. Other well, people go for the, the you know, hard charging stuff to like get their batteries revved up a little when they need it. Yeah, I mean, depends. it depends on the day. And, and I always look at music like everybody's got their vices, Pat. Like whether it's it's some people are into poetry. Some people my, my wife loves to read like we have an immense library. Uh, I mean, it's like library office that I work out of. Um, everybody's got their things. And the one thing that has always just spoken to me, like talk straight to my soul. And I have so many memories tied to music. Uh, like I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Like I can turn on, I can scroll through my catalog of, of just insane amounts of bands and albums. And I can remember where I was when I either, and it might not have been the first time that I was listening to it. Like, what what part of my life automatically just jumps into my skull whenever I turn on this song? And to me, that that's fantastic, man. And so whether it's a mood, whether it's 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 a part of th- th- this entire story we call life, I, I love music for that. Yeah, man, they're markers. They they music lays down boundaries like that, and and you know puts you in time and place, like sizes up everything. It's uh. Yeah, man. Amen to that. You said it well. Um, all right, D-Bro, turning back to football, the, the tight end position, <laughs> abrupt, okay. hard turn back into football. Um, so one little news item from the last few days is is the Vikings release of Kyle Rudolph. And uh, it seemed to instantly generate a lot of enthusiasm for Irv Smith. Do you, do you think the Rudolph release means wheels up for Irv Smith? Or do we just sort of see, uh, you know, Tyler Conklin come in and play the the Kyle Rudolph role and still kind of a two tight end setup. So I, I know people are, are not into Irv Smith as much as me and, and that's fine. I respect it. I, I, I understand it, but Irv Smith is a fantastically talented football player. He's immensely young. He's agile and he's playing the role in this Minnesota offense 
that we should want, Pat. And I talked about this earlier in the episode, and people were like, okay, well, he, he didn't get a lot of targets. Like, if you look at after, like, weeks 14 to the 17, and one of those, he was not, they kind of eased it back in. So I know we're dealing with a really small sample size here. But four targets, four targets, nine and three. And people are like, why do you love him? Why do you profess the love for Irv Smith as much as you do? Over that stretch, so like after he was playing full allotment of snaps, weeks 15 through 17, I care so much more about how many routes you're running. Because if you're out on the field, if you're running routes, if we want the receiving role, then obviously you got to be running the routes. If the targeted guy, like if the guy that's blocking for half of his, his time on the field, or if he's running, running a route on like 30 or 40% of dropbacks and he just happens to walk into three targets in a game, that's more noise than I think it is signal. And if you look at Irv Smith, Pat, three games, and again, small sample size. He was sixth among all tight ends and routes run. And to give some context to this, and this is what I want people to walk away from with this three-game sample size. Over that span, he ran one, one fewer route than Darren Waller. Mm. Mm, that is that is interesting, man. Um, I like that number. I like the 8.5 yards per target last year, too, which is, you know, like Travis Kelsey territory is low nine. So he's not that far off from there. Um, yeah, you know, and it, it seems like they seem unlikely to – invest in another receiver when they've already got Jefferson and Thielen. So it seems like there's room for Smith to be that third guy. Um, the tight end position is a, a good way for us to segue into some New Orleans Saints football, Debro, because I know that's your team. Tell me why we should be looking to roster second-year man Adam Troutman. I, I really like Troutman, and he's a guy that if you look at different metrics and stuff and the limited sample size that he was on the field last year competing with time with, with Hill and Cook, um, he showed the ability to run block, um, which he's got the size, he's got the skill to, to do such. That's going to allow him the ability to stay on the field, as well as if you look at just athletic measurables, he's got a 95, 95th percentile agility score and an 81st percentile catch radius. Is he a guy running a 4-8 that's going to stretch the seam and be have the ceiling of a Travis Kelsey? Probably no. But can he be a guy that garners volume, that can be a, a good target over the middle? Um, yes, I absolutely believe that. He has good college production, early breakout age, if you want to go back to that, which I understand people are like, oh, well, he's had a year in the NFL. We need to look at his NFL production. Sitting behind two other tight ends, I think that Troutman's a guy that we could absolutely see garner a large role in this New Orleans offense. Um, regardless of, of how much I want Traquan Smith to be a thing, the thing about it is, is that New Orleans doesn't want that to be a thing on a consistent basis. They, I mean, they signed Emmanuel Sanders. They've run Deontay Harris. Um, and I know Traquan wasn't healthy at certain points of last season. But they have shown time and time again that they're not willing to just unleash Traquan on a weekly basis and they brought other guys in to supplement in that wide receiver two role so I think Troutman could easily hop him in the pecking order I mean if, if Emmanuel Sanders is not back you could see Troutman be the third pass game weapon in this offense and I'm not making lazy Jimmy Graham comparisons but like this is a smart coaching staff that's going to utilize the weapons at their disposal regardless of how that looks like on with the depth chart. 
And if this is a team that we, we, we hear about it every single day, that they need to cut, they need to cut, they need to restart your contracts. Da, 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 da. Troutman's a guy that's cheap. He's not going anywhere. And I don't think that they're going to have a lot of money to bring in a ton of competition for him. So I really think that he's a guy that's that's being slept on. He might not be the sexiest guy as far as like what you're looking at, as far as is the ceiling there for him to be a George Kittle? No. Can he be a guy that garners a lot of volume and does well with the volume that he's given? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a banner draft class for tight ends last year, but like third round draft capital. So yeah, reason to think that they are not going to be splurging on Hunter Henry or one of the other bigger ticket free agent tight ends this year. Probably not going to sink another, you know, day two pick in a tight end. And um, boy, looking at yards per target, another number. Granted, only 16 targets last year, but uh, 10.7 uh, pretty good in a small sample. I'm glad you cleared up the Traquan Smith thing. I mean, God, it's just the guy keeps flashing, Debro. I love him. I love him, but the Saints don't. Yeah, it's been three years now, man. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Um, what are they going to do at quarterback? Like, what's your what's your sense of that? Everybody leans Winston. I I don't. It, I. Somebody's going to talk me into that. Somebody's going to talk me into why there's so much belief that Jameis Winston's going to be the guy. Why didn't they start him last year? I don't understand that. And I know everybody loves to hate on Taysom Hill and everybody, all the jokes and stuff are fun about how he loves Taysom and his affinity for Taysom Hill knows no bounds. Taysom Hill was good for fantasy and he wasn't bad as a quarterback. Like I put it out there as a thread. Considering, does he have his limitations or are there drawbacks to Taysom Hill? Yes. Was he bad and just stunk it up on the field whenever he was the quarterback for the Saints? No. So I think that they go into the year with Taysom Hill as the starter or they're going to give him competition and he's got a chance to win the role again. Like I really think that Sean Payton's love for Taysom Hill and his ability to be a serviceable quarterback in the NFL in the short term Considering all of the talent around him and the, and the scheme that he's operating in, yeah, I'm fine with Taysom Hill. Dude, is there any chance they do something crazy? Like I, I compare it to in baseball bullpen days, you know, that were originated to these days where you don't have a starter go. You just have the bullpen handle the whole day and like fantasy people are like, well, what the hell do we do with this? Is there any chance they do something crazy where they have it be neither – Taysom Hill nor Jameis as the quarterback and sort of play them both situationally and just totally confound fantasy managers across the country. I don't see it happening. And as much as like Sean loves the ability to play matchups and the scheme and stuff like that, I do think at this point in his career, Peyton and, and yes, just to, does take, does he use Taysom Hill in some suboptimal instances? And it's like, okay, you're getting too cute. Sure. There's also a lot of things that Sean Payton does schematically wise. Like when they torched Tampa Bay in the regular season last year, that was because Sean Payton was like, look, nobody is leaning on what this defense doesn't do well. They're terrible versus tight ends. You could beat them in these different facets of offensive matchups. And they just laid the blueprint out about how you destroy this defense. Sean Payton doesn't get enough credit as far as like what he does in that instance as opposed to like what all all the social media discussions about like okay well he's getting too cute here and there so I, I don't see them going matchup based 
I also think that there is, uh, we talk about like momentum and all these different things that we can't quantify statistically. I think there is something to be said for the, the, the flow of the game and, and the ability to have the same quarterback under center and allow him to both diagnose the defense and get into a rhythm. So I, I think that they're going to ride with one guy. Could I see them just go totally off the page and, and draft a guy? Like, I know Mac Jones's name has been rumored out there. Could that happen? I, I don't think they could be totally just dismissed. But I don't see them going matchup-based quarterback or, or cycling in two guys in the same game on, on a consistent basis. Yeah, that that would be uh, just chaotic. I, I think that would be a little too much. Although I can remember in Ohio State's uh, year where they had, I think they had like two quarterbacks, Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain, if I recall correctly, who like Jackson would play first and third quarters and Germain would play the second and fourth. It was kind of bizarre, but, uh, you know. Ohio State. They had studs at every position, so they made it work. Um, Michael Thomas, speaking of Ohio State, Debro, um, <laughs> what do you think of him this year? I mean, he's like the price is way, way down, obviously, after the star-crossed injury-plagued year. What, I don't know, where he, where should he be going in redraft this year? Everybody's down on him, and we're all looking at a lot of peripherals and I think people want to slant like well all the slant boy jokes are fun and all that kind of stuff but if we're getting real with this Pat I love Michael Thomas I'm I'm, I'm here for the bounce back um I, I will aggressively target him I don't think that you have to do that right now because uh, all the sentiment is down everybody's like oh well he's actually older than what you think and oh he struggled in all these ways and but we all want to shade the fact of after the season it can't it comes out that he's dealing with these this bevy of injuries and for as much smack talk as Carlton Davis talks about, you know, or talks in the media about how you shut him down and stuff of that nature. When Drew Brees is playing with that bevy of injuries and you add the two together, one guy can't push the ball down the field. Another guy can't get open because he's hurt too. It, it, it leads for a perfect storm of great value for Michael Thomas. And in a short stretch with Taysom Hill, the guy had over a 30% target share. The only reason that people weren't just ooing and awing over his fantasy finishes per weekly was that he didn't score any frapping touchdowns. And if we believe the touchdowns are all over the damn map, if the touchdowns come back, the role is there. So yeah, I'm in on Michael Thomas. I think that if you could get him in third round redraft, which I see him go there, heck, I've seen him fall to the fourth round in some best ball drafts at this point. I have no problem if he rises to the second round. I'm fine with that too. Because I think that he's a guy that's going to garner a ton of targets, regardless of whoever the quarterback is. Yeah, and it seems like you know he's not going to go any earlier than late second, and uh, it just seems like anywhere in the third or the fourth is a good purchase. And I think I've done three best ball drafts so far and have Michael Thomas in two of them, so um, definitely a good time to get back in. I think there was a report this week that Eagles owner Jeff Lurie has issued an edict saying that he wants the team to, uh, quote, prioritize making Hurts, Jalen Hurts, that is, successful in 2021 as opposed to creating a true competition. Is that the right move for the Eagles? And where do you think Hurts should be ranked in fantasy for this year? I think it's the right move in the sense that they they sunk a second-round pick, and I understand new coaching staff and things of that nature. He's still on a rookie deal. 
I think that we only saw such a short, abbreviated stretch for a guy that was thrown into the mix in a, in a wonky offseason, limited training camps, however you want to slice and dice this. For a player that we talk about running quarterbacks take time, and then we're looking at all the skilled players around him. They weren't utilizing that roster to the best of its abilities. I mean, heck, we're still rolling out the, the, the ghost of Zach Ertz. Uh, we still are dealing with the zombie corpse of Alshon Jeffrey on a weekly basis. They buried Travis Fulgham, and they're not putting Jalen Rager in the slot and utilizing him over Greg Ward, who I love Greg Ward for what he is, but come on, man, let's be real. I think Hertz was put in a really difficult situation, also with Carson Wentz sitting on the bench, like breathing down his neck. Hertz balled out. He had three games, and he was the QB3 over that stretch, 79 rushing yards per game. I think that considering where this team is right now, you go out, you give Jalen Hurts the leash, you let him play, and if he shows you this season that he's the guy, then okay, you got your future quarterback for the short term. If not, okay, fine. We're probably not going to be a great squad. We're probably going to be drafting somewhere inside the top 10 picks next year's draft. All right, that's fine. Then we go get our quarterback next season, but give the guy a real shot. And anybody ranking Jalen Hurts, and I'm going to throw this out here, anybody ranking Jalen Hurts outside your top 10 to 12 quarterbacks is assuming and putting in factors of Jalen Hurts not being the starter for the entirety of the season and adding inputs that we can't possibly forecast. With his rushing equity alone, he's going to be a QB1 if he starts the entire season. I don't care if he throws sidearm with his other arm. It doesn't matter. Whatever he does with his legs on the ground will put him in the QB1 conversation. Amen, man. Konami code. Um, and But I do think there is that trepidation. I, I've seen this in best balls, and it's really easy to get him at like the QB12 uh, overall, you know, still in that QB1 range because people are concerned that the Eagles might do something crazy like, you know, maneuver and take a quarterback at six or something like that. So, um, yeah, which does seem like it would be, I don't know, counterproductive at this point. Why is Gabriel Davis one of your top five guys to trade for in Dynasty, D-Bro? I, I love Gabriel Davis. I played him so much at DFS, and so this is not just me banging the drum from DS, DFS weeks. But Gabriel Davis could walk into a fantastic opportunity in the 2021 season. If they cut John Brown, who's 31, uh, the Bills could save 7.9 against the cap, uh, million that is. I, I, I think that it's possible. And if you're looking at Gabriel Davis in my furry security system is going off. Um, if, if you're looking at Gabriel Davis in this instance, being inside of a Buffalo Bills offense that was top three in scoring, top three in neutral script passing rate, has a young quarterback. If he's going to be the starter next to Stephon Diggs, look at the role that he played last year, Pat. They trusted a rookie to like play both on the outside and the inside. When John Brown was hurt, he played outside and he was a starter. When Cole Beasley was hurt, he played inside, he played the slot. He had the most deep targets on the entire team last year above Stephon Diggs. So Gabriel Davis is a guy that I think you can still get relatively cheap in Dynasty. And the, the upside is there both in offense, quarterback situation, and what he showed us on the field in his rookie season. Like, the guy was 11th of fantasy points per target. 
So I, I think it's all wheels up. I think that we, we're buying Gabriel Davis possibly at his floor, and there's nothing but equity we could, we could gain out of it. Yeah, man. Uh, likely number two receiver role next year, I would think, unless the the Bills do something splashy in the draft or free agency. Um, you know, not unlikely. It seems like John Brown is going to be back, and Dawson Knox. You know, nice tight end, decent growth prospect. But I I don't know. I mean, we're talking about a TE two for fantasy, probably. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm excited too, and and like his rookie year, pretty damn convincing. All right, Debro, last one for you. Uh, like you, I'm a big Terry McLaurin fan. But this year, I think, I don't know, I might personally ease off the gas with him a little bit in drafts unless the football team is able to do something exciting at the quarterback position. Not sure they have the ammo to do that. Are you still stomping the gas pedal here regardless? I'm still in on him. Um, just based off of what he did last season, even if you want to throw lump that in the rookie season together, I mean, despite Alex Smith, who uh, the comeback story was fantastic, but the guy couldn't push the ball down the field. Um, I don't think that that is a high bar to meet for quarterback play. If Heineke can meet that, heck, if they bring in another quarterback like a Mac Jones or who have you, and they can at least meet that bar, the, the wheels are up for Terry McLaurin. He didn't score a ton of touchdowns. And if you look at just this list that he is on, the only wide receivers last year that had a higher weighted opportunity than Terry McLaurin last year. Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, Hollywood Brown. That's it. That's the list. So his role in that offense and what he's able to do with subpar quarterbacking play, if, if that even continues this year and we get the touchdowns to come back, or if we get him, considering the, the reports that we've gotten, a more healthy version of him for 2021, I'm still in on him. Yeah, man. Um, all the all the chips just stacked against this guy, and he, he goes out and has an 1,100-yard season uh, in 15 games. My God, get this guy some help. Let him, uh, let's see what he can do with a credible quarterback and, and maybe a few more weapons around him to, uh, you know, take up some of the uh, coverage attention. Debro, it's always so much fun to talk to you, brother. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Pat. I mean, this was a blast. I always love being able to talk football and then listen to the soft, sultry tones of your voice. And just <laughs> as you direct this, this uh, great, great, uh, idea of football that we get to discuss on a weekly basis. I love it, man. Thank you for having me. Oh, the the pleasure is mine, man. I love how you bring the energy and enthusiasm here. Uh, it's always so much fun to talk to you. Before I let you run, buddy, could you tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find all your great stuff? Yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter at Debro underscore FFB. Uh, you can find uh, all of my audio work at Fade the Chalk. Uh, that's our podcast with my co-host Adam Pfeiffer. Uh, we are doing four to five episodes per week going through all the off-season stuff. Uh, this week we have our new addition to FTN on the podcast. Steffi Smalls is stopping by. We're going to discuss uh, free agency, what that looks like. We're diving into NFL draft prospects, uh, as well as all my written work. Video content is, is spread across FTN across FTN Network, so FTN Fantasy, FTN Bets, FTN Daily, all of those avenues is where you can find me. You're the man, D-Bro. Thanks again, amigo. Thanks, buddy. This was awesome. And that's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Derek Brown of Fade the Noise. Find him on Twitter at 
dbro underscore ffb producer of fits on fantasy is mr calm kelly the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of ireland find him on twitter at overtime ireland special thanks to melissa jacobs of thefootballgirl.com find her on twitter at thefootballgirl thank you to international jet set for the music and of course i want to thank you for listening here's hoping you'll be back again next week when i'll be joined by another great guest so long everyone Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.